All right, good morning, everybody. How we doing? All right, my name is Chris Plugginpole, and I'm so glad that all of you are here. And a um, couple things, I, I know this is like housekeeping things. We're supposed to be talking about Jesus right now, but I want to talk about other things before we get into about talking about Jesus. A couple things. One, uh, we were wanting to get children's ministry during this service up and going. So if you're like, I can do kids. Tanya Richardson right over here would love to talk to you. We're, our goal is to have on uh, Mother's Day, which is like the second week of May, uh, to have our babies uh, in, during this service. But we would love to see more and more uh, people being able to bring, like single moms come and check out our church for the first time. And it's such an overwhelming thing to come into a church without that. So if you wouldn't mind, Tanya's right over here. Come talk to her. Or if you're online, email us at tanya, tanya at com, and she would love to get you connected and plugged in. Okay, second housekeeping thing. Uh, we want you to come back to church. Okay, now for everybody in here, you're like, already here. Check. All right, uh, but what if you're watching online, I'm so glad that you were here. Um, the elders sort of like came up with a date, and, and, and like if you're like, I don't like that date. That, it's not really about a date. We just say, hey, June 13th is the day. We want everyone to come back, whether that's outside or online. And whatever you need to do to sort of make, make sure that that feels safe for you, we'd love for you to kind of make that happen. And so um, this morning, it was really great outside uh, at Calvary Worship Center where we do our outside service. I saw people I hadn't seen since pre-COVID, right? It was like, wow, you're here. And so encourage your friends. Uh, if you're online, come on, see us again. We'd love to see you outside if that's a, a better, more comfortable space for you. But we need each other. And I think what happens is uh, life starts to happen, meaning start stuff, start, stuff starts happening on Sundays, and then your schedule gets filled up, and then you're like, how are you going to add church back on top of all the other stuff that's already happening? And so I want to put uh, church back into your regular rhythm uh, of life again as we get back and emerge from uh, the pandemic. So super excited about that, seeing everybody again. I miss you. I know it sounds like crazy to say, but I really, really do. Uh, you mean a lot to me. Okay. Now, we're in a series called Who's Your Trainer? And uh, if you have any questions about this particular sermon or any questions at all, uh, I would love for you to join me on Pastor Plex Podcast. Text the number on the screen and then find us on your favorite podcasting uh, app of choice. And we would love to answer all your questions. I'll leave that number on the screen uh, for you uh, for the rest of the talk. Okay. We're in a series called Who's Your Trainer? And basically, the, the, the thought came, because I do this with my children a lot, I, I end up asking the question, um, specifically to my children, and Jet in particular, uh, it goes like this. Uh, are you training me, or am I training you? And they're like, mm, you're training me. Then do what I say is usually what comes after that, okay? And what can happen, though, is, is that this is hard, especially after you've had enough conversations, after you've sort of been exhausted and defeated, and uh, I'm in the world of small children right now, that's eight, six, four, and two, and so it's a constant battle. And if you're saying, oh, well, I need to check my brain out of here because I don't have kids, I don't plan on having kids, this is like not for me, thank you very much. I want to bring you back in for a second because the reality was every one of you were parented even if it was parented poorly. And the reason you are the way you are was influenced by the way that you were or even were not 
parented, and it might explain some of the weird things about you, some of the tendencies you have, some of the friction that you've sort of caused for yourself. And so as I go through this, you're like, that's not relevant, that's not relevant. I want you to think back to how, how you were parented, and then think how maybe you should have been parented, and how God can redeem that so that you might be a part of speaking into the next generation, okay? Okay, that's where I want you to go with that. Uh, but for Adrian and I, we're right in the thick of it, and um, we have a routine. Every night, we have the bedtime routine. It goes like this. We all eat dinner. We try to have some semblance of a conversation, uh, and we're in zone defense, meaning I've got four kids, two adults, and if one kid needs discipline, and if we both turn our attention to the one kid, the other three will run off out to the backyard. And I go, nobody ate, nobody ate their food. Uh, they want to jump on the trampoline. They just want to be anywhere but sitting down anywhere because I have four boys who've got the, the wiggles like you would not even imagine. Okay, so it's kind of like one child's getting, I have to kind of like kind of hold everybody down with like, don't move, don't move, don't move. Okay, that's kind of how that goes. And we try to have a semblance that we try to pray at the meal. We try and talk about everybody's day. And we get, sometimes get a sentence, sometimes we just get tears because somebody else got more food or less food, or how come I have to eat that? And we have to kind of go through all that. So if you know what I'm talking about. And then sometimes they make this noise. It's like a screeching noise of whining that really grates on the soul. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so there, there's that, all right? Now, after that experience, it's, you know, we, we make it through, and then we go up, and it's bath time, and, um, uh, and I put all the kids in the bath, dump water in their head, soap, water, and, you know, we do a, we're pretty efficient on that. And then uh, after that, we get everybody dressed, read stories, brush teeth, the whole thing, and then the goal is, if I have the ability to strap my kids into their bed, don't think I wouldn't do it. Because inevitably, after we've, like, at dinner time, like, this is the last chance you will ever have to eat tonight. And I make them repeat it. What, what is tonight? What is right now? The last chance I have to eat, Daddy. Are you hungry? No, I can't eat anything. I just don't want anything. And then um, Adrian and I are now on the couch, about ready to have adult conversation, which she's been lacking for a long, long time. And uh, then um, one of our sons, you, ever, you know the kid that just sort of appears and it kind of freaks you out? It's a little creepy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, like, it, for us, it's Titus. He's four. He just, like, appears in our bedroom staring at my face like I'm sleeping. And I'll be like, gosh, what are you, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Or this morning, I literally got, and I was, like, in the shower, got out, and, like, he's just there. I'm like, ah! You know, it, like, it's, it's sort of terrifying. He's just, he just appears. And so um, Adrian and I are talking, and all of a sudden, He's just there. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, Titus, what do you need? I'm hungry, Daddy. And I'm like, I just told you. Remember final last time ever, ever, ever to eat tonight? Did you remember that? Yes, Daddy, but I'm hungry. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, come here. Adrian rolls her eyes. I'm like, what do you want? I want a bar. Okay, and so I go get a Chips Ahoy bar thingy, jam it in his mouth, and say, please go up to your bed. Don't come down. This is, we're only doing this once, this one time, which has been this one time every day this week. Now, what happens then is like, but what about Austin and Jet? They might want a bar too. And I'm like, oh, all right, fine. And what I realized um, is there's some negotiations that go on up in the terrorist cell upstairs. 
And they've learned if all three of them come down at the same time, we herd them back with like, but if it's just one and they look really sad and they do the big eyes and then everybody gets fed and then like the terrorism continues, right? Like that's sort of how it works. So they are not dumb up there. Uh, and we, have, we actually have like a policy at our house called we don't negotiate with terrorists. And then eventually um, Titus will come down again and he'll go, Daddy... I need some water. I'm like, there's a sink in the bathroom. Shove your face up to it. Drink all the water you want. That's so hard. <laughs> all right, Daddy will help you. Here's a cup. Drink the water. Okay. And then he goes up, and then, like, we're about, like, we're, this is now taking way too long. I can tell Adrian's frustrated. I'm frustrated. We're all frustrated. And then here he comes again. Daddy, I can't sleep. And then Adrian goes, you better start taking care of this family. These kids are running the house. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. Okay, we're going upstairs. Stay in bed. Don't come. Okay, and so that can happen. Is it, does anybody else know what I'm talking about with that? Okay, all right. So, um, all right. We all have this desire, okay? We all have a desire to raise our children as God desires, which here's just Cliff Notes version of the whole talk. God first, spouse second, then kids, okay? Everyone with me on that? That's like the priority. And, we, and nobody here is like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like nobody would say that for the most part. But what happens, we drift towards stuff. And then all of a sudden, oh, even though we desire to raise our children the way God does, we tend to prioritize our children over our spouse, just like happens when the little four-year-old terrorist comes down and starts dominating the conversation and our lives. Or uh, we tend to prioritize ourselves over our family. And we're like, I need me time. Or, or what about this? We, we tend to prioritize our children over God. And all, all three of these things wreck and wreak havoc into the future of our children. And it, <laughs> And this is where if you had parents who did this and they didn't prioritize each other, they, didn't, they prioritized themselves personal me time over you, or um, you, got, you were the center of all things, then there's probably a, a good chance that things are not well with you now. And so this morning, I want us as uh, Parents, future parents, or as children at the grow, that are grown up and realize we got some quirks and issues in our life, I want to help us retrain, reparent on some of the stuff that went wrong, okay? So that's where we're going uh, this morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1, which is sort of an exciting place to go. And uh, we're going to look into some descriptive versus prescriptive uh, parenting styles where God is going to speak into some parenting. Uh, and whenever we talk about descriptive, so a lot of times when you read a narrative, narrative story, you're going to hear about what God did in that situation. And so what we tend to do is go like, oh, if it happened for that person, it should happen to me. And so that's not necessarily the case, but we're going to drive some truth uh, from the narrative of a story, and then there's going to be some particular prescriptive things that God is going to command that we'll lean into, okay? So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Would you pray with me as we open up God's Word? Father, thank you that your Word is always relevant, and even though some of this is written 4,000 years ago, um, God, we, we know that your word is power and powerful. And so, God, um, please help us. 
Please help us. As we sift through uh, truth, as we want and yearn and linger into what you would have us do as, um, as married people, as single people, as parents, as um, empty nesters, God, that you would speak into us clearly as where you would have us to be to speak truth into lives of the next generation. We love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory. Everybody said, amen. All right, so First uh, Samuel starts off with a story of a man who had a blended family, okay, which is good news. A lot of us sort of ex- have experienced that. It's a man with a blended family. His name's Elkanah, and he's got two wives, only it's not necessarily because of divorce. He's got two wives. Polygamy is going on at this point, so you're just like, oh, wow, this is going to be bizarrely irrelevant in many ways, but no, hang with me. So Elkanah has one wife who is Hannah, and that's the wife he really loves. Tough thing about Hannah, she can't have children. And then he's got uh, Peninnah, who can have children, and all her social media feed is how awesome her kids are, and she likes to make sure that Hannah knows how she can't have children, okay? I know none of you would ever post stuff about baby showers and having babies just to make the people that don't have babies feel bad, but it can feel that way, especially if you don't have children, all right? Just FYI, that's for free. And so she is, so Hannah's frustrated, and she's taking her frustration out on her husband, Elkanah, and she is crying, and one night she refused to eat, even after he gave her the, he's given her Flemings, and he's given his wife and the other kids McDonald's, okay? So that's kind of where they're at, but she's crying, and she refused to eat. Then her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why are you crying, and why won't you eat? Why are you so upset? To which most people are going like, dude, are you serious? You, you don't really know why she's upset? This is the problem with all men. No, no, he actually gets it. He's trying to help her view things from God's perspective. And he says, am I not better to you than 10 sons? And I love this line. Okay, I love this line. And the reason why I love this line is because it shows a marriage prioritization for Elkanah and Hannah that she should have had, but she couldn't see because she's got so wrapped up in wanting a pregnancy. She couldn't see it. And all she could see and her focus was on the fact that she could not have babies. Now, here's, here's the reality and the truth of that I wanted you to kind of glean from this. That that's descriptive of their situation, but here's what's prescriptive. Spouses must prioritize each other over children. Now, you see it here in this story from like Elkanah getting frustrated, like I'm the priority, not children, because here's, here's what's true. Here's what's true. Watch this. If you don't learn to prioritize your marriage and the relationship before you have children, then it's going to be really hard and difficult to do when you have children, and then even harder with a capital E-R to do when the children have moved out, Okay. It's not, and I talk to couples all the time. The children move out, children move on, and then there's two roommates living in the same house, and they're like, hey, nice to meet you. Because the relationship has not been cultivated. Okay, now watch, watch, watch. And here's why we know this is true. Uh, Jesus, Matthew 19, uh, Paul in Ephesians 5, both quote Genesis 2.24. That for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be join his wife, and the two become one 
flesh. And that's, that's the heartbeat of the, the priority is that God has made you one with another person and you are to love that person as yourself, which means prioritize them first. Okay. And there's a tendency in me, right? Because I love my kids and they're, well, they're easy to love in the standpoint, it's easy for them to get my time because they're on my own flesh and blood. And I'm like, oh, I would do that. Or, oh, he needs not to do that. Oh, I can live vicariously through my kid. And that, there's a tendency always for us to do that, okay? And if, if you don't know this, what happens for your children, if the marriage isn't solid, it builds insecurity in children. And so they don't look at you as a safe place. They look at you as someone who is in trouble. And so there's a tendency to want to escape that, coping mechanisms for other friends, I need to get away from the friction I see at home because it is toxic, and everyone knows that in our culture, everything toxic is bad, and we run from it. And so what happens is, instead of engaging that, they run from it, and they're saying, I don't want anything to do with you, mom and dad. Thank you very much. They become teenagers. The rest is history. And then at about 35, they're like, hey, I'm so sorry. I was a jerk, right? That's sort of what happens. And so kids act out when parents act out. And so for Adrian and me, this, is, this has been one that, so uh, to be fair, my, my family life growing up was um, my dad worked a lot. Uh, I'd come home, you know, to an empty house. My mom worked, and so I just kind of, you know, figured it out. And I'd do homework until mom got home. We'd eat dinner. My dad might come home for dinner, maybe not. And so I didn't learn what family dynamics looked like. I just, that was not like a thing that I totally understood. But Adrian, like her family totally got that. That was like her strength is that. And so she was able, like she was able to sort of help, help me say like, I know that you weren't raised in a way that you saw parents interacting, but it's a really healthy thing that builds security into you. So we need to do that. And I don't feel connected. Anybody guy ever have a wife say, I just don't feel connected anymore. Oh, okay, you guys have heard that. All right. And that's because what men do in general is we're connected to our work. All right. And I am like totally in tune there. All right. And so what happens, what happens? So Adrian's like, listen, for us to have a normal, healthy marriage that our kids see, they need to see us kissing each other. They need to see us prioritizing each other over them. And you know what's really hard about that? The screaming. Because when we say that there's a babysitter coming, ah! it's like I took a, like a, a dagger. I'm like, ah, murdering you. You know, like they're just like, how dare you do that? You don't love me. And I'm like, it's like an hour. <laughs> okay. And, and so I have to overcome that and uh, to build that into our rhythm. And so whether, um, um, it's not like we're heading to Fleming's. It could be McDonald's. It could be Dairy Queen when they got some specials. Like, right? like the reality is that you don't need to make this all about an incredible evening out, but it needs to be somewhere where I'm prioritizing my spouse over my children and they know it. And that's hard to fathom in our culture. Okay, so not only date night, and one of the other things that Adrian and I did, and this was, it's like, again, torturing our children. They probably... Set turns in the CPS if they understood that. Uh, it's like when we leave for 24 hours. Like that is like, how dare you? Because we need to reconnect and we need time to build on the romance because I know that, I know if you're single, you're like, you mean you're just not like just in love and fireworks and like all the time when you get married? Yeah, that's exactly how it is. It just, you know. But the reality is it's something you actually have to work for. Intimacy, you have to work for. You have to initiate 
dating your spouse after you get married because you're stuck with them. And what that means is no one's trying to impress anybody anymore. That, that's just what happens. Okay, so what I'm trying to get across here is there's got to be this prioritization of the marriage and the romance and the, and the relationship over the children, even though the children obviously have your heart because you're stuck with them by blood, but your spouse, you're stuck with them by covenant. You with me? And they are going to be there. 18 years, 25 years plus when you're done having children, you have to have a relationship with them. And listen, if, you, if your parents did not do that, then all of a sudden you, you look at life through that lens that marriage is all about me and you buy into a Hollywood version what romance should look like and I just need to feel it. Okay, that's what we do. Okay, watch this, watch this. So Hannah, and, and this is what I appreciate about Elkanah, and, and sometimes I have to do this with Adrian, and, and she does this with me. We all get into our little places where there's a thing in our life that we need to push our spouse to the Lord and not for us to be the Savior, okay? So with Hannah, she's like, I want children! I want children! And Elkanah's like, what else can I do? You need to talk to God about this. This is not my issue. This is God's issue. I did my part. And listen, this, this marriage advice for free. At some point, if there is an issue, the always issue is like, let's go to Jesus and let's not go to me finding a solution. Although men are great at finding solutions, at some point there are some things, there are some things that only Jesus can solve, okay? And so he shares that with Hannah and she does. She goes to the tabernacle and she starts, gets on her knees before God. Verse 13 of 1 Samuel 1. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, he's the high priest and the judge of Israel, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Now, this says more about Eli than it says about Hannah. Because I don't know if you guys know this, like at Eli's job as a judge of Israel was also to be a prophet of God, hear from God, speak for God. It was to administrate the justice of God. And then also, also, he was to be a priest of God. And part of being a priest of God is recognizing heartbroken people and not drunks. And if this is like a pretty easy one. But he, and you're going to watch how he has missed it because his, he hasn't been on the job, so to speak. Watch this. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now, you got to hear this from Hannah's heart, right? She, she just, her husband said, like, listen, what else do you want from me? I'm not better than 10 sons. Go talk to God about this. So she does. She obeys her husband. She goes and talks to God about this. And then what happens? You got the high priest going to say, hey, stop being drunk. Stop sinning. Like the zero compassion part of being a priest. And here's Hannah. Every man she talks to is just always on her case about how it's, there's something wrong with her. And so I want you to hear this. There, there's something in Eli that's sort of messed up. And, and Hannah, at least he can hear Hannah when she says, but, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And I love this line right here because it's going to come back. Watch this. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. Because the way he talked to her, he was like, you are worthless. 
for all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And if you have great anxiety and vexation, being before God is exactly where you should be. In fact, uh, whenever uh, Eli recognizes his error, he's like, oh, my bad. May God grant you your request. In fact, it happens. It happens just as Eli prayed. It was amazing. When Eli was on the job praying for, as like in his office as high priest, judge of Israel, bam, Hannah gets pregnant. And she is, she said, and in her heart, she says, if I get pregnant, I will give my son to the Lord. I will have him serve in the tabernacle all his days. I just please God. And that's exactly what happens. And what's weird is she bears her son Samuel and comes and presents him to Eli, who might be the worst dad ever. Now, to which she doesn't know that because she wasn't, you know, privy to his inner life, but we're going to watch out how bad of a dad uh, Eli was. Check this out. In fact, we're going to look at verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. (laughs) Oh, that's sort of unfortunate. They did not know the Lord. And we're, we're not talking, not only were they not saved, like they didn't know, have a relationship that was cultivated by faith. They were in a covenant community and were not living covenantly at all. They were like, whatever, I do what I want to do. All right, in fact, in fact, verse 17 sort of puts their sin in, in like a, a synopsis. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. How do they do that? First, we're told that... Um, Eli's sons took a three-pronged fork and ate whatever meat they, could, they bought out of the pot when sacrificing an animal. They're like, this is going to be a sacrifice for God, but bloop, that's mine. And that was their tradition. They made up a new rule for them to get food, and they got fat off of that. In fact, there's, this was a contradiction. The only thing they were supposed to eat from the meat was the, was the breast or the upper thigh of an oxen of sheep or goat, and that's from Leviticus 7, all right? Then... And also in Leviticus, I know what everyone's favorite book to read, uh, Leviticus 10 talks about how Aaron's sons, remember Aaron, Moses and Aaron, like let my people go with that Aaron. Uh, he hung out with Moses a lot and spoke for Moses. Well, that Aaron had two kids and they died because they did not offer um, sacrifices in a holy way. Because here's, here's the reason why God was so strict on this stuff. Israel was supposed to be a culturally distinct covenant community which showed the whole world that the God that they worship may have been invisible, but he was very real. And that the people of God did not need a statue, a graven image for them to honor, but rather the presence was everywhere of God. And when they failed at that because they didn't take seriously the things of God, they were killed, and they knew that, and they just ignored it, okay? So that's the first thing is they, off, they stole food. They were like bullies on the block when it came to being priests. They're like, nah, I'll take your food and your food, and people like, no, no, you gotta, this is my sacrifice to the Lord. This is my offering of faith. Nah, I'm good. Hey, you, get out of here. Temple guards, beat, or, you know, tabernacle guards, tell these kids to beat it. And the other thing was, uh, Eli was really old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So all the greeters uh, and welcome team, uh, before the priest did his priestly duties, he would do his manly duties in the back room before they got started. It was awkward for everybody. And it wasn't like they were trying to hide it. He's like, hey, you and me, after this, let's go. And it was like, 
And then the word gets back. Now, what's weird about that is it's not like Eli ever saw it because he was too old for that. Now, granted, he, he, was a, he spent 40 years as judge and high priest of Israel, and so he started at age 58 and died at 98, and he had young sons, so probably in his mid-60s is when, or late, early 70s is when he's having to parent them through some of this. But he's not taking it, he's not in their lives to a point where he is parenting them through it. And God holds them accountable for it. Watch this. And he said to them, this is what Eli said to his son, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. Now, I haven't seen it, but I'm hearing it from the people. And the people are complaining to me. And that's really why I'm coming to you, because I just don't want to deal with these people anymore. They're whiners. No, my sons, it's no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. It's not that he's seen it, he just hears it. And then he says, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. And then this is the part where we don't think God's very nice. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Which everyone's like, uh, I don't know if I like God. That's, really, that's kind of old school, scary stuff. And let me tell you why. A prophet of God, a man of God, came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, here's why he's putting him to death, because he has not taken seriously the holiness of God. Thus the Lord said, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves, plural, including you, on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. What we see here is that uh, Eli, what, what happens, they would, they would take the food, they take the best part of the food, and they make sure daddy was happy so that when daddy said, don't do that, he didn't really mean don't do that. It was all words with no, it was all talk and no walk. But parents must prioritize God over themselves. And, and, and here's what happens. Eli, we find out in chapter 4 that Eli was fat, like way overweight. And listen, for the most part, if you eat clean, you're not going to be fat. Am I right? For the most part. In a day of no preservatives, in a day where it was whole foods and sprouts only, right? In that day, Eli was a man of, who was severely overweight. In fact, so overweight that he falls back in his chair and his own weight breaks his neck. Okay, that, that's how heavy he was. But it's not about his weight. It's about his pursuit of comfort. Now watch this. Watch this. The pursuit of comfort. You ready? You ready? So the boys would come in and say, hey, Danny, here's your food. I'll see you later. Don't you see? You know, are you, you're not done yet. We got some more for you. Where there's, man, they're, there's, they're, man they're, they're killing it out there, literally. And so there's a lot of food for you, Dad, and we're going to take care of you. You just stay in here and don't bother us. We're taking care of all the things out in the priestly duties. And you got to remember, here's the thing about Eli. He was a judge and high priest of all Israel. Listen to me, parents. When in charge, be in charge. Because what happens if we live our life responding to our children... Even when they're old, older, like grown-ups, these are young men, but they're still grown-ups that make decisions for themselves, we're all of a sudden, we're afraid of them. And he, he didn't want to lose his comfort. I don't want to lose my choice offerings. I don't want to lose the best parts of this deal. 
And so what's happening is that he's gotten comfortable with being comfortable and not restraining and not talking to his children. He doesn't want to be the dad who is mad. Nobody wants to be the dad who is mad. I'd rather be a God on the side. And this is what happens. We got some, you know, especially in the form of years of our kids, when we go the, the guide on the side as opposed to wanting to be the dad who is mad because uh, we're afraid that we might be seen that way. We're afraid our children won't like us. We're afraid they won't bring us comfort because we don't want them to be uncomfortable and all that. What happens is we sort of uh, give in to so the, the world and they, we become victims of having to respond to our children. And God has called us to lead our families and prioritize him and his way over ourselves. And this is hard. This is so hard. Because it's, it's, it's not the food necessarily, but it could be. But it could be your phone. Okay, it's not the phone. It's the streaming. It's, it's, it's not that you worked so hard and now it's like such an exhausting thing. And, and I mean, there's just so much whining. Now watch this. Um, back in the day, when we lived in an agrarian society, now let's just go back in the day, agrarian society, parents got to parent their kids all day long. It's not like they sent their kids off to daycare or they went to school or whatever. They were, all, they were with them, right? And what would happen, watch this, is that the dad and the mom would have to navigate problems all day long. Here's what happened. It didn't rain for a while. And like dad would be looking out the field and he's starting to recognize. He'd say, man, in the, he's probably talking out loud. Kid says, what's wrong, daddy? Man, things are getting dusty out there. We're going to have to find a way to get water to our crops. And he would come up with something. He'd, he'd be like, boy, get a shovel. We're going to do some digging. And he would break his back shoveling noon and night to get water from the river over to the crops. And he'd figure it out. And it was a huge day of celebration. Or he'd say, listen, boy, we got to pray. We got to get on our knees. Let's go and ask God. And they would learn a couple things. One, hard work. And they learned prayer. And they learn all. The, and they get to see their dad in the best the prime of his life, making awesome decisions, networking with people, working with others, like following through in a deal when the guy kind of shorted, gave him the short end of the stick and he followed through anyway. And the kid learned just because the best lessons in life, we all know this, are caught, not taught. And he sees it. She sees it. And mom and dad working together, trying to make everything happen. And then you know what happened? Instead of seeing kids watching their parents in the best part of the day, the Industrial Revolution happened. I'm not like, this isn't me like looking at the evils of culture. That's not that, but I'm just explaining. And then what happened? The dad went off to work. The mom stayed at home, and they had split ops, split operations. And so the dad would give the best part of his day, and they'd be working at the factory, and the cog would break, and he'd, and he'd have to sit there, oh, no, if I don't get this, we're going to lose out on production by 8,500 widgets. Quick, give me your shoe. And he jammed it in there, and he figured it out, and like, he you know, did MacGyvered the thing for a while until someone from, you know, Maintenance came and repaired it, and everyone high five. Way to go, Bob! Yeah, there. Oh, and they had a great moment. And the kids never knew about it or heard about it. And can I just tell you this? My dad died back in 2013, and uh, you know when I heard the coolest stories was at his funeral. I didn't know all the stuff my dad. Did. My dad can make magic happen at IBM, and I didn't know anything about it. He was a great salesman. He could turn a deal that was dead into a deal that was alive and made money off of it. it was, and guys would talk about his just un incredible prowess that I totally missed out on. Again, this, I'm not saying he should have invited me to work to sit under dad all day, right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that what happened is that for a lot of dads, they get home and they're turning off. A lot of moms are getting home and they're, they're turning off. Hang with me. Watch this. And they get your leftovers, 
They get your leftovers. They're getting, um, I'm too tired. I got to, listen, I, I got to look at something. I got to knock out another email. I'm too, I got a show I need to watch. I got a thing I need to do. And what happens is that the, the children learn that work made him tired. Work made him not fun. He likes work more than me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's reinforced over time, and then the child sort of learns, I can't depend on my parents, and they start to rebel from their parents so they don't feel like their parents love them. And of course, as you become a parent, you start to realize, oh, my parents actually did love me. They were just so tired, exhausted, and they were never trained. So watch this. Because a parent would say, I just need my me time. I'm going to try and be very calm about this. You don't get any me time! There's no me time. You get home, that's when your day starts. You spent 12 hours at, at the office, 12 hours doing your thing. Then you come home. Now it's time to get to work. You got to take a deep breath, transition. You've got two, three hours tops with your kids to kind of hit it. And then you're done. And then you get several years of that. And no, you want to know why you don't have a relationship with them because somebody else does all day long. I'm, listen, I'm, this is, I'm not advocating everyone at homeschools. I'm not advocating that everyone work from home and the kid just stares at your, your, you while you, you know, knock out TPS reports and you get a sales call. No, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that this is about giving your best to your children and not just saying, I'm too tired, I can't do, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because when you do that, you're responding to the child and then you are just appeasing them all day long. What can I put in your mouth so you shut up? What, can I, what, acti- what activity can I make you do so I don't have to deal with you? Let's do gymnastics, do piano, let's do uh, football, baseball, soccer. What can, I, what can I go take you to so I don't have to deal with it? No, I'm just, just saying. Because you're at the practice and you're not engaged in the game. You're staring at your phone. It's just another hour to knock out some more work. And listen, and if you were parented like that, that became normal for you. And so all of a sudden when you sort of realize why you can't disengage from work is because that's all you knew. And you didn't know how to prioritize family. You didn't know how to prioritize a husband. You didn't know how to prioritize a wife. You didn't know how to prioritize anything because that's all you saw of what life was. And so of course you're doing it like that. I need us, listen, parents, Men, women, I need you to initiate. Give them the best. It's like, hey, it's, it's, we're home, and I'm going to tell, start telling you about my day. Here's what I did. I had this deal come in, and we killed it. And they, listen, do you know your kids actually want to hear about your day? And they might go, whatever, you know, but they, then, you know why I know this? is because they repeat almost everything I say to them. Um, how many of you guys, do you guys remember the show Psych? Anybody remember that show? Okay, I still watch it. I know it's terrible. I'm like on season six all over again. And I still live vicariously through Sean and Gus. But what's so weird about that, right, right, is that um, there's this part of psych, the, the, the theme goes, I know, you know, I'm not telling the truth. And my two-year-old, who can't talk, uh, the other day was like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, crud. He literally hears everything that I say or repeat or do. 
Austin, when I, when I tell stories about something that happened, he's like, remember that one time that you shared the gospel with that one person? How'd that turn? It was like four years ago, and like when he was like four years old, he remembers like me talking about uh, wanting to share the gospel with somebody and then going through and falling through it, and he talks about how awesome that was. Because that's daddy's job. That's daddy's work. That's what daddy does. And then all of a sudden, it becomes like that's, he knows the story. It's the legacy passed on because daddy works hard. Daddy talks to people. Daddy does. He is invested in it. And I'm not saying that we're trying to create uh, cult heroes at home, but you sort of are. They, you want, they, want to, they want to follow you. They want to think you're the best. They need to know about those decisions. But what happens if you're not able to relay, you're not giving your best, you're not initiating with your kids, they're just going to follow. Rather, respond talk about all the things that are crazy, whine at you, and you're just shove something in their mouth, something in their face, put something in their hand, leave me alone. And our heart has to put God first as opposed to the phone first, as opposed to the whatever the thing is to get these people away from me first. That is God's heart for us. Let's keep moving. That's a little convicting, and we'll keep moving. So here's what happens. You've got uh, Samuel... Is you know been given to Eli. He's being raised. He's watching uh, Eli and his poor parenting, and somehow he raised, is raised up to be an awesome kid, primarily because he's literally talking to God. In fact, one night uh, Samuel hears someone say, "Hey, Samuel, Samuel." He's like, "Huh? Oh, that must be Eli." He runs over to Eli's room. He's like, "Hey, Eli, you called me?" And he's like, "No, I'm tired. Go back to bed. You're hearing things." And he goes back, and you know, Samuel, Samuel. He goes, Eli again, did you call me? No, go back to bed. Third time, did you call me? It's, wait a minute, that might be the Lord. It's been a long time since I heard from him. <laughs> because his whole life was building comfort. His comfort food had just been so, totally taken over. Him hearing from the Lord was so strange, he couldn't recognize it. He's like, wait a minute, maybe this could be. He's actually talking to you. And so there's, he says, yeah, go say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He goes back. And then, oddly, um, Samuel gets a word, a woe to his parental figure, Eli. Watch this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. For the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming, and he did not restrain them. Oh, this is huge. Listen, when in charge, be in charge. I know everyone's afraid to be the dad that's mad and just want to be a God on the side, but listen, here's the part that I need you to hear, that there is a part, listen, he's grown sons. This was nepotism at its worst. You've got the, the high priest of Israel and his grown sons, you know, stealing basically from the people. It's like sexual harassment claims should have been like filed a long time ago, right? Like they, these guys are out of control, and he never restrains them. One of my, uh, one of my mentors, uh, who's a guy that mentored me, and I mentored his son, you know how you can have those relationships, and um, I've been mentoring uh, this kid since he was 15, and he went to the army, got out of the army, and was a grown man, uh, work, started working for his dad. And one day, instead of like, he wanted to take off early, you know, working for his dad. He, had, he owned several properties. He was managing one of them. And he goes, hey, guys, I'm going to go to the football game. You guys got it from here, right? 
And then he leaves and goes to the game. And his dad hears about it, fires him on the spot. Like, fires his own son. And, of course, the son called me. Can you believe my dad? He fired me. And I'm like, well, I mean, would your dad do it? Yeah, but I'm his son. He wouldn't do that to me. And for six months, he didn't talk to his dad. And there's a great fear. Look at it. The dad who is mad, that's what you get. You're not going to talk to your son anymore. But you know what? Now they talk all the time because eventually he saw my dad was right, and he got over it. And he started seeing that his dad wants the best for him and not just to be a person who's a victim of the world. That was powerful for me to learn as a, as a dad who doesn't have a grown son, but this is exactly what the judge of Israel should have been implementing with his sons, but he was too afraid because his sons ruled his life. And so he says, this is verse 14, Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house, this is huge, shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Death, destruction, separation from God, hopelessness was coming to him because they blasphemed in the worst way. He had, he had raised not children of faith, but children of the flesh that wanted their comfort, that wanted their own thing, and they merely just watched their dad eat himself into oblivion, and they just followed the footsteps of sex and food and comfort being their idols. Parents have to prioritize God over their children. And if we don't, we end up fearing our children. And then, uh, watch this, our, our children become their own gods. And th- this, no one signs up. Listen, most people don't say, I just want my kids to rule my life, and I want them to tell me what to do. But here's what we sometimes say, and we don't know that we're saying, I just want my kids to grow up and make their own decisions. Yes, make their own godly decisions. You are, watch this, a proxy for God. Parents, in the years which they're under your authority, in the years which under their, your house, you are a proxy for God. And so what happens is you speak into their life so that they understand the transfer of authority goes from parent to God. And if that doesn't happen, they sort of feel like the world, watch this, owes them something. And so they leave it and they're going like, "How come? where's my next thing? How it's just so unfair. And watch this, watch this. It, this if you ever kind of look at the people you work with, and you go, yes, I just work with a bunch of idiots. There's morons everywhere. It might be because you were so, such the center of the world that when people don't do what you want, when you want, the way you want it, and life isn't Burger King, all of a sudden, it starts to bring up the very thing that you were raised to do, expect everyone to revolve their lives around And that's what happened to Eli's sons, and it cost them their lives. It cost Eli his life. Now, good news, good news, that Jesus came, and he became the sacrifice to atone for the sin of us so that we don't experience hell or separation from God. Hallelujah, sing the song, chorus come in. But the reality is, my hope would be for you is that it would be, I'm going to be stand in the gap for God until that day when they can understand um, how holy and awesome God is. And that his holiness and sin don't interact or mingle. And that we're all destined for darkness. But what Jesus did, he died on the cross and redeemed us. And he ascended into heaven to show us that he has the, all in eternal life in his hands. But 
if we're not prioritizing and modeling that because we're so sucked into our own comfort, then what happens is we're leaving our children to their peril. This is one of the things that, here's, just, here's an example of one of the things I do with my kids because they want to play all the time, which I love that. But the one time I'll tell them, no, I'm not going to initiate you with you right now, is I'm going to spend time in God's Word. And I want them to see that I'm choosing God's Word over them. In the same way, I want them to see I'm choosing my wife over them. You with me? And so what they recognize is that Daddy spends time with God, and that allows him to spend time with me. Okay, okay. That has to happen. Where else are they going to learn to um, honor God's word, to put it first, to read it for themselves, to understand the transition of authority from parent to God himself? When, when does that happen? If you're not modeling, if you're not showing, if you're not teaching it, that's... Because, listen, uh, I love our children's ministry. I think Tane does an amazing job. But if, we're, if you're saying, like, man, I'm, well, I took them to church and I went to Sunday school and Justin was awesome and Caleb was amazing. And then you don't ever take time to say, like, this is what God's word is. Let me show you how this has changed my life and how it speaks to me right now. Then what we're modeling is it really doesn't matter. And what we're modeling is it's like we don't really pray or that's what you do when you're really in trouble. And we, we show them that we give God our leftovers as opposed to our best. And I feel like this is the part where... Um, God is calling us desperately to show our children the reality, the next generation of that, how important that is. And listen, here's, here's for some of you, some of you, is you never had a father or mother reveal that to you. But did you know that we have older people here that all they want to do is show the next generation that there's hope? But they're like, give me somebody young who would listen to me and I'll share all the wisdom I have. Come on. And what happens is that we're like, man, what could they know? They're old. <laughs> and then what happens for older people, they start to believe it, which is so weird. Just because you can't work a, you know, the control of your phone or, you know, listen, that does not mean you don't have wisdom to impart. <laughs> what that means is you need to call some of those young people over to show you how to work the control, and then you can show them to work their life. You with me? Because I feel like that's where we struggle. Okay. So listen, if you're like, Chris, I'm an empty nester, that doesn't... No, you have a role. We need you. There's a ton of young people here that are clueless. So the question is, watch this, how will you prioritize your family? How are you going to... Listen, how are you going to do it? Are you going to follow God's word, says, God for spouse next, and then my children, and then... I have my spouse for forever, and I love him, I love her as myself, because that's what God, God's word commands. And listen, if you're, if you're listening to that going, oh my gosh, I can't even, like, I don't even know where to start. Listen, if you're not a Christian here, listen to this, meaning you've never accepted that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and he paid the penalty. He took on hell for you. And he rose from the dead. If you've never put your trust in what he has done for you, then my heart's cry is, please, please. Turn to him and, and he will give you rest. His burden is easy, or his burden is light. His yoke is easy and he wants to give you rest for your soul. 
to free you from the penalty of that darkness and sin. And that's my cry of my heart for you. And if you are a Christian, uh, he wants to set you free from the power of sin. Like you've, you've, you accepted Christ. I got it, I got it. No, no. He can set you free from that time where you're like, like Chris, I just, I just need to stare at this for a little bit to cope, just a little bit. Life, the work was hard. I, I just need some more comfort food. I need some comfort streaming. I need some comfort something. I need to cope and medicate because it's hard. And I want to say, listen, he is better than any coping mechanism you can use. But just like Eli, who couldn't, who couldn't determine that God was speaking, he couldn't see that there was a broken woman in need of ministry, what happens is we get so self-absorbed that we can't see anymore. We, we get so lost in the, the prioritization of self and all our self-care that we forget that Jesus came. And he came from heaven to earth and he died on the cross. Ultimate selflessness. And he did it almost for a selfish reason. It was the joy that was set before him. The joy, the only thing that he didn't have before he comes down from heaven to earth is you and me. He had perfect relationship with, within the Trinity. Perfect. And he wanted to share that with us. And the only way he could share that with us is to absorb the wrath of God So this morning, we're going to take communion again. And it's one of my favorite times. And also known as the Lord's Supper. And what we do is, in this, if you're not a Christian, this is, this is what Christians do. Okay, Christians take communion because Jesus told us to remember what he did. In fact, the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That same night, he took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember it's in me. In other words, we, we eat the bread, or in this case, wafer, to remind ourselves that just like our stomachs feed on bread, our soul feeds on Jesus. And we drink the cup to represent his blood to remind us that there's no amount of work, blood, sweat, or tears you could ever do that would earn your way into heaven to escape God's wrath. It comes clearly from Christ alone, his work, his blood that was shed. So we're going to go into a, a time of prayer and then a time of confession. And if you're not a Christian, this might be the time where you go, all right, I guess I'm, I believe in Jesus. And then you could believe that he died on the cross for you, rose from the dead. Maybe you're not fully sure all that. But man, this, if your act of faith might be taking the communion this morning, that this is a step of faith, not a step of the flesh. Not a step of something I hope nobody's looking at me because I don't want anyone to think I'm not a Christian. Like, then don't take it. Or if there's some sin or some darkness in your life that you're not able to resolve yet, until you confess that, I want you to hold off taking communion. All right, let's go before the Lord. Father, I know that a lot of us came from broken homes. I know that it was a lot of pain and frustration and a lot of like, if you only knew the half of it and everyone's story is painful and bad and the woundedness and the abuse and the darkness, the frustration. But God, we know that you are a good God. And we know that all of that pain that we've endured isn't even close to what you took on the cross. And Lord, you freed us from the penalty of sin. You freed us from that, the darkness of our heart. You freed us, God. You, you changed us, Lord. 
And so God, I'm praying that um, for somebody maybe for the first time would say, I want that eternal life. I want what you're offering, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and you rose from the dead. And Holy Spirit, come into my life, make me the person you want me to be, and they would be transformed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, it would happen. But all of a sudden, they'd be brand new. God, I'm praying for those who have been doing this for a while, but may have been encumbered and beaten down by the power of sin and comfort and simply medicating themselves. God, I pray that they would just wrap their head around that you are even better than that. So God, I'm praying that your grace would be sufficient, that they would see that you are sufficient every time the temptation comes, that you are better than that, that you you taste better than that, that you satisfy better than that. God, please, Jesus, as we come to you, we're going to confess the sin of our hearts and the darkness of our soul, and we're just going to bring it before you, and you bring it to light, and we expose our, ourselves, and we'd say, God, we come to you, and you who are faithful and just will forgive us of all our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and restore relationship that we have with you. Please, Jesus. So, Lord, we're going to take that time right now just for to just let you, Holy Spirit, just minister to our souls we bring to the forefront all the darkness of thoughts we've never aired uh, all the things that we've done we haven't shared that lord you would do something really special in this moment and sense that power free us god